Welcome to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast, where our goal is to provide small business owners and key decision makers with valuable nuggets to help you grow or simply improve how you run your business, ultimately looking to increase your profitability. My name is Craig Pollock. I'm the founder and CEO of FPA Technology Services, and I'm your host for this podcast. Do you ever wonder what other business owners are running up against out there? Are you too busy working in your business to work on your business? Do you ever feel like you're in this thing alone? Are you at a crossroad with your business where some new ideas would help? For nearly 30 years, I've been helping companies grow and improve their businesses by leveraging technology, whether it's software, hardware, on-prem, or in the cloud, and at the same time, building FPA into the premier IT service provider in the greater Los Angeles area. This experience has given me exposure to hundreds of businesses and all sorts of systems, and as a lifelong learner has helped me gather all I could about the ins and outs of running a business. And these are the sorts of things I want to share with you on this podcast. In today's podcast, I sit down with Andy Anderson, co-founder and CEO of Datastream Cyber Insurance, a different kind of insurance company, one who's solely focused on cyber liability insurance. Andy and his team have created an insurance business like no other. In addition to offering critical support to their policyholders post-incident, they also work with them pre-incident to build resilience. This dual approach makes businesses better able to withstand any cyber attack. Given what we do, I thought it would be informative to speak with Andy, learn more about what they do in detail, what's going on in the insurance world when it comes to cyber insurance, and how they really are a step ahead of their competition. So here we go. Let's dive into our conversation with Andy. Welcome to the podcast, Andy Anderson, CEO and founder of Datastream Cyber Insurance. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me on, Craig. Yeah, no question. Being in the industry, knowing cybersecurity inside and out, relatively, can you just like give us a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you're at, why you started Datastream, and, you know, and then we can sort of peel back talking a little bit more about the company, what you guys offer, and then, you know, cybersecurity in general. But, you know, how did, how did you get to this place? Before I worked in technology, I, I worked on Wall Street and I actually covered insurance companies um, as my area. So I would read, you know, all about insurance companies and write, you know, little little notes for investors, you know, how, you know, which insurance companies, how they worked and, and which would be potentially good investments. And then I sort of ran away from Wall Street because I really wasn't loving it and spent kind of the next 10 plus years in technology, ending up in kind of the the cybersecurity end of technology, which is, I just found the most sort of intellectually stimulating and interesting, um, mm-hmm. partly because it's just, it's sort of like the land of broken toys, right? Like where where are things <laughs> breaking and kind of like right. interesting th- things happening, but kind of once you've seen the world through the eyes of insurance, you kind of can't forget it, right? And so when I was looking at what, you know, what companies were dealing with were cyber attacks. It looked very much like things that the insurance insurance industry does very well. And, you know, in particular, the, the insurance industry handles low frequency, as in they happen very rarely, high severity events, right? It, they're mm-hmm. very expensive. So, right. you know, imagine hurricanes or earthquakes, right? Like these are, these are things that are very, very good for insurance to, to, provide a, a safety net around an individual is, you know, they don't, they don't have a lot of experience typically dealing with those types of risks on a daily basis. Like a hurricane doesn't hit you every day, nor thankfully an earthquake. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but it, but, and, and cyber looks very similar, right? Like you don't uh, every day you're not, I mean, you may be attacked, but it's usually not successful. Right. right. But right. when those things do happen, it's really bad. Right. It's, you know, it's often kind of potentially business ending for a lot of businesses. And so, you know, having putting those two things together, I sort of got interested in, you know, is there is there a role for insurance here? And then I sort of dug in in a little bit more and and actually realized that a, a friend of mine had actually helped found another cyber insurance firm that's actually our parent called Envelop Risk. And so I got talking to him and and basically out of those conversations, eventually we formed what is what is data stream. So this and the the way that we approach cyber insurance is a little bit different than other folks. We we work really heavily in partnership with technology firms, particularly sort of local technology firms, which are for the most part are managed service providers um, around the country to kind of 
holistically think about cyber risk and to think about how can you tackle this problem using a mixture of, of technology and insurance to really take care of the risk. So the, the, the everyday business owner, right. They're not, you know, having to think about this on a daily basis, like, oh my gosh, I'm staying up at night worrying that I'm going to get attacked and my business is going to go under. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we think that, but I think, you know, most business owners, at least in our, you know, experience, they're not thinking about this stuff that much unless, right. Unless it comes up and that's our job is to help them think about that. Right. Again, we, 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 I often sort of like joke with, with people at my company and, and, and with my family and friends, right? Like I realize that no one really wants to talk about insurance. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's some like amazing commercials on right now. I think progressive in particular, like where right. Flo shows up with a, with a baby on her chest or, or she shows up to who's her sister who has her baby on her chest and says like, Oh, you wanted me to talk about insurance. And then, you know, the, the, <laughs> the sister's like, no, no, no. I wanted you to talk about insurance and literally like stands there and then the baby like slowly falls asleep and then the sister closes the door. Right. Like, right. Uh, again, almost every employee who joins us, like I make watch that, that video, because it's like, again, you got to appreciate this is not the most exciting topic for most people. I personally find it fascinating and particularly cyber. There's like all kinds of things going on, but it's one of those topics where I think you often have to kind of like, could, you know, really grab the, the customer kind of by the, by the shirt collar and say, Hey, I need you to pay attention to this. I need you to think about this and let's hope that this doesn't happen, but there is a, a, a not less than 0% chance that, you know, a couple of years from now, this is the conversation that you're going to be so glad that you had and that you thought about this and that you put in place the things that really protected you and your business from, you know, from that potentially business ending type scenario. Right. And right. we in particular work with, you know, sort of small to medium sized businesses. Like what hits the what's in the news is obviously like the very large enterprise scale type attacks. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. it literally, I think Ferrari was in the last couple of weeks. Right. But, but there's almost not a major company that hasn't had a big cyber incident. What's less often recognized is that the small companies it's hitting them just as much, if not more, but it's just not newsworthy, right? So, but the impact to those businesses, it's not, oh gosh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna lose a couple, you know, we're gonna lose millions here and that's gonna like dent our quarterly earnings. It's, we're gonna lose maybe only hundreds of thousands, but that's, you know, that's college educations, that's firing a bunch of employees, that's maybe the thing that, that puts that business under, right? Like the impact for, for small businesses is in some ways often much worse on a, uh, right. Relative to the big businesses. Right. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's sort of two schools of thought that I'm seeing out there these days. One is, well, it's, it's like you said, it's happening to all the big guys. So it's going to happen to me and it's just, you know, it's just a matter of time. Right. And then there's, well, it happens to the big guys. So it's, it's not going to happen to me because I'm so small and nobody wants my data. And yeah. not, not that we have to, you know, rehash, all the vulnerabilities, right? I mean, there are just so many different ways that people can get hit these days. But I, I, I would like to sort of dive in a little bit more about the concept, you know, just around insurance and further, obviously, cyber insurance. But it's kind of interesting because, like you said, nobody likes paying for insurance, but they love having it when they need it, yep. right? And I do think that that cyber insurance, you know, it's taking a different place than where it used to. And it's certainly, you know, the, the, the companies, the insurance companies are, are really starting to mature around this product, right? Yeah. Because the last couple of years, they keep getting hit, right? I yeah. mean, if you have insurance and you're getting hit, the, 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 the insurance companies are feeling it too. So what, what are you seeing out there? And like, what, what's, what sort of changes have you seen over the last couple of years, just from the insurance side of things? Cause I know I've seen some things. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the cyber insurance has a little bit more history than I think people realize, mm -hmm. right? So it, it, it's it been around in some forms for almost 20 years, right? Kind of dating back to kind of the, hmm. you know, late 90s, early 2000s, right? It's evolved. And honestly, the 
the coverage has actually expanded. So, you know, sort of initially it was really around kind of like trademark infringement, you know, oh gosh, you used this picture on your website and you didn't have, co you know, and you didn't have rights to it and you could be sued. And that, that's still part of that. And then obviously took a form where it was a lot of like, you know, you lost sensitive data, credit card numbers, social security numbers, healthcare records, all those things. Those are sort of the things that particularly the, the, the sensitive data piece is a lot of the story. But I think what people don't appreciate is, that actually the coverage also includes, you know, business interruption, right? And ransomware coverage and and cyber crime coverage, like the actual theft of 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 money from you. So all these other types of attacks are also included in in coverages. And for a lot of the small businesses, you know, gosh, I was a, you know, I'm a little manufacturer of something, right? I don't really have a lot of sensitive data. You know, I have my employee, maybe I have my employees, social security numbers. Right. But like, right. why would I ever be attacked? But really the, the growth of ransomware and ransomware, let's be honest, is kind of an outgrowth of the ability for, of cryptocurrencies, right? Like cryptocurrencies enabled attackers to essentially be paid in a way that was semi-anonymous, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, you don't right. literally need to like, you don't need to show up and like pick up a suitcase of cash, right? You can just be wired some Bitcoin or, or other crypto. So, you know, once once crypto enabled ransomware, then then a whole nother like, uh, you know, the, the potential target and the potential way to mess with a business became basically unlimited, right? Mm -hmm. And any business that essentially relies on digital on digital stuff. And and when you see the guy who's playing the guitar, sitting outside on the sidewalk saying, you know, hey, just Venmo me, right? Like what business doesn't rely on digital stuff, right? Like literally every business is reliant on on stuff. Now those can be interrupted. And so you can you can put that business in, a, in an uncomfortable position and demand a ransom and say, gosh, in order to get access back to your systems, sometimes to your data, but even just, I mean, I was in, I was in a coffee shop that like, you know, the, 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 the register, which is a, you know, like a square system or whatever, or Clover right. or whatever wasn't working. I mean, the whole place just like ground to a halt. Like you right. couldn't, we can't, we don't know how much to charge. We can't take money. <laughs> like, again, like people are like, we're either going to give away the coffee or everyone's going to leave. Right. It's right. basically where we are. Right. What you've seen is, you know, the cyber insurance has evolved. Right. So it was very easy, you know, that as it expanded, they were writing a lot of policies, right? Particularly a lot of policies that, you know, had private, you know, were, were kind of like loss of data. And then, gosh, you know, it was pretty money good for these other types of businesses. Then ransomware comes along, a lot more losses, right? And so then the insurance industry goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. We want to be thinking a lot more about like what's actually going on with the security postures of these organizations. Let's 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 start adding a lot more questions. Let's start doing a lot more of our a lot more scrutiny on on who we're underwriting and what does their posture look like. That's what you you saw the pendulum really swing, and I think it surprised a lot of people how fast it it swung just in the last two to three years. And so, you know. The applications went from kind of like a one-page form, you know, basically like a check in a back of a napkin. You could get coverage to, um, you know, now maybe it's a it's a seven-page form full of a lot of questions that that are asking some pretty hard hard things around your um, your security posture. So, I think that's that needed to happen. Honestly, it it, it helps. It, it, it it's it's what. It ultimately is driving down losses for customers, um, for for insurance carriers, and then and then for customers, it's driving down the cost of insurance because what they're saying is, gosh, if you're doing the right thing, the likelihood of you having a an incident is lower, so we can actually charge a lot less to you. And that process is also encouraging customers to start to do the right thing, right? Like, right. oh gosh, those yep. things, you know. Put in multi-factor authentication, have a good backup, put EDR, endpoint detection and response in place. The things that, you know, you as an MSP are probably been, been, you know, pounding on the table saying to your, your clients, you need to do this. You need to do this. And, and insurance is, is now supporting that. And, and again, that's the story that insurance has, has played and the role insurance has played for 
decades in other industries. You know, you mm -hmm. think about like the fire safety and and how we think about building buildings and the role that insurance plays in making sure that buildings have sprinklers and, you know, fire doors and fire escapes and, you know, fire rated walls and all those things, right? Like that, they're the ones that have made over, you know, a hundred plus years, buildings just a lot safer for us to live in and the likelihood of us dying in a, in a building fire way, way less. Similar story in the auto industry, you know, insurance is significantly, if you look at the like number of deaths per highway mile, uh, driven, it is just, you know, been falling like a rock since the 1960s. And that's mm -hmm. largely due to that kind of the insurance industry and the technology players in that industry, you know, the airbag makers, the, the analog brake makers, the auto firms, the auto manufacturers, like getting together and saying what actually is making people safer. And gosh, you'll get lower rates if you do, you know, if you have have a cars with certain technologies. So. Right. Yeah. I've never, I mean, that's a great point that you put out. I never really thought about the impact insurance as an industry has had on other industries. Right. And I think the insurance industry gets this bad rap that, or bad rep, whatever you want to say, right. About, well, we just, we just take money and, you know, and we have a hard time giving it up when, you know, there's, there's a claim, right? And it, yeah. it's, it's sort of the bad side of it, but I think what you're doing and, and, you know, the, the role cyber insurance plays in a business, especially in the small business, I think is, is can't be touted enough, right? Because like you said, the small businesses, these threats are, are, are very much existential threats. You know, they're not, you know, like you said, a large company losing a couple million dollars, not to minimize it or over minimize it, right? Is is they can do it. They can they can withstand that. If if a small business gets hit for a couple hundred thousand, like you said, it's like that could be the difference between staying in business and shutting things down. And and I think that, you know, with cyber and the changes that you mentioned, which were the the increased, you know, just simply like the questionnaire. I mean, we see it all the time. Like a couple of years ago, it was literally our clients. Like we never heard. They had, we never heard from them around cyber insurance. Whereas now it's like, hey, I need to renew. Can you guys fill this out for me? Because it's seven pages and I have no idea. Yeah, right? totally. And, and that's where we have these these deeper conversations, like you said, you know, pounding the table. You guys really need to do this. Yeah. And I, it, there's sort of two, there's two, two areas that, um, that you sort of bring up there. I think one around kind of like, when is it that insurance doesn't pay and kind of the reputation that insurance has for like making it difficult to get paid. Mm -hmm. And the second being kind of like the role that of how, how insurance can kind of work together to make actually life a little bit simpler for, you know, joke, you public regular business owner. Right. So maybe I'll take, is it okay if I take kind of the, yeah, those for two sure. separately? Go so I think the first is, you know, I, I, I'll be the first to say there that the insurance industry, there, there are cases where the insurance industry doesn't pay, right? The, the thing is, though, that that's news, right? It's mm -hmm. not news the majority of the time when insurance does pay. And I think if you look at like the, you know, the claim to payment ratio, it's, it's pretty good for most carriers, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're paying most of the time. But particularly with cyber, it's often not talked about for, you know, all of the sort of you know, the, the sort of secrecy that is, is around cyber attacks. So right. yep. the other thing is it's, it's a legal contract, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there, and it's a legal contract between an insurance carrier and a, and a policyholder, and it's a one-way contract. So actually when there's ambiguity in the contract, because the insurance carrier wrote it, that sort of ties go to the, go to the, the policyholder. Right. Because, again, like if the contract was ambiguous, that's not the policyholder's fault. It's actually the insurance carrier's fault because they mm -hmm. wrote the contract. So when we see folks get denied a claim, you know, the most the, the typical reason is that they misrepresented themselves. Like they filled out an application and they did it typically not 
you know, intentionally. They didn't they didn't right. try and lie on a uh -huh. insurance application. And anyone sort of thinking about doing that, it's just like a dumb idea because particularly in cyber, it's going to be very easy for them to figure out that you're lying. And so it's easy for a claims adjuster to say, you know, what's the point in buying an insurance contract if you're just going to lie on it, right? Because they're going to figure it out and they're going to deny the claim. So I don't think that actually happens very much. What I think happens is they, you know, the, 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 the applications are confusing. Mm -hmm. The questions are very detailed. And so people, and again, they're, it's about this thing that maybe they're not super familiar with, like all the details of their cybersecurity posture. So this is why we really recommend, you know, you work with a specialist, right? Who really understands the, understands the different applications, understands those questions, understands the different coverages, right? Because and 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 we kind of talk about cyber insurance as kind of like the open heart surgery of insurance right now. You know, mo the rest of insurance, you know, if you're buying the policies, the policies have been standardized. It's literally like the same legal document, whether you buy an Allstate or a State Farmer or Geico, like there's a standard policy form that the insurance industry, it's what's known as the ISO forms, right? Mm -hmm. And so every carrier, it's the same. So if you're an insurance agent, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a bot policy, business owner's policy, or it's a, you know, homeowner's policy, or it's a auto policy. They're typically the same regardless of carrier. It And the applications are quite similar as well. In cyber, it's, we work with 45 different carriers. That's 45 different applications. The questions are different. The, the actual legal document is different. How they describe things are different. Literally, most of them are close to 100 pages, and 20 of those are just definitions. So mm -hmm. it's sort of like if you're if you're working with an insurance agent who's like, yeah, 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 like I do cyber, it's sort of like, you know, that that family doctor who's like, yeah, like, you know, I saw somebody do open heart surgery like once in medical school. Like, I, I think I got it. I think I'm good here. Right. You know, like that's just and, and unfortunately, we do a lot of policy reviews and we find that like, you know, they, they just miss the subtlety here. And and mm -hmm. I don't think that's. And so I think that's one thing you want to make sure you do. You work with an expert who then can get you in a place where, you know, you really have you've answered things accurately. We actually like to go through another step and actually document why you've answered the questions that way and, and provide some, you know, support for that at the time, around the time of, of buying the insurance. So should you be in a claim, you go, oh gosh, you know, here claims adjuster. Yes, I answered the questions this way. Here's, you know, the pile of evidence that I, you know, why I, I answered it that way and believe that it was, that I had that in case, you know, if you want to go to court and and explain why you don't want to pay this to a judge and jury, we can do that, but I don't think it's going to go well for you, right? Mm -hmm. But that's the kind of like not paying side, right? And I think customers just need to arm themselves and really work with somebody who understands it and, and document. The other side is kind of, I think the role that insurance plays in not only making things safer, but actually making things in some ways simpler. And I know no one that seems sort of counterintuitive that like a hundred page document could actually be it could be make anything simpler for anybody but right. when i go buy a car there's the insurance institute for highway safety iihs rates cars at, at on a five point scale so a level five cars is the most safe car every year the iihs defines what's level five and they literally have like a, a facility in Northern Virginia where they smack cars into walls with crash disc dummies and say, you know, what's the impact of, you know, different stuff. And you can see what they did. They changed over year after year. So when I'm buying a car, I don't have to go, you know, talk to the sales guy and be like, you know, well, well, how fast did the airbag deploy and what happened in a side impact? I can just let go and see like, well, oh, that's level five. Mm -hmm. And I think the similar thing is happening kind of in the, and it's going to continue to happen in the in cyberspace where you're going, okay, you know, this is a, a posture, a mix of technologies and, and requirements that the insurance industry is setting. As a business owner, you don't have to necessarily get so in the details and so in the weeds as you would if you don't, if you aren't using insurance and the collaboration that's happening between the tech industry and insurance to your benefit, right? Like kind of let the right. experts worry about it yeah and i think i mean the the one interesting thing that that you're talking about there 
has to do with the questionnaire and the breadth of the questions. One thing that I'm always sort of wondering, and maybe you can fill out or, or complete for us, but if somebody fills out an insurance form, right, for cyber and says, yeah, we have dual factor authentication. Okay. Now, how does how does that work in terms of down the road if you do need to have a claim and you find out that, well, they do have dual factor authentication, but it's only on 80% of the machines or, yep. you know, it's only on certain places, not everywhere. Like, does yep. that give the insurance company the right to go, well, you don't, you didn't have it applied across your whole environment. Therefore, we're not going to cover this claim, even yep. though it's on that machine that had it, let's say. Right. Like, yeah. That's one of the things that you want to be, you want to be really thoughtful about what the question say. Right. And mm -hmm. that's the detail of like right. reading through all the questions. Right. And understanding, like, does it say all devices? Now, this is a question we get, you know, it, that question specifically, usually it's multi-factor. Do you have multi-factor authentication for email? Mm -hmm. Right. And right. you have multi-factor authentication for any sort of remote access, right? That's mm -hmm. really where we're seeing the, the and and literally that's the, the what the questions are asking about. So you don't see a question that's that's so broad as to all devices, right? Because as, again, that's almost impossible. Like you can't right. you can't get multi-factor on that. Right. right. Yeah. So thinking about what's all, but but words matter, particularly right. on uh, in legal documents, <laughs> which is what insurance right. applications are. Right? right. The place that we see that type of like all situation is really around encryption right and so you know do you have data in, encrypted on you know at on all devices right and 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 both and, and that's where we we typically say to most organizations that that you should actually answer that no right because you mm -hmm. don't you may have it, you may have certain portions of it. And if need be, that's where you would like say no, but then you would like, you would either add to the bottom of the application or sometimes there's a place to explain right there, right? right. And you'd say, okay, we we have, you know, things encrypted at rest, like our email system, et cetera, but obviously they're not encrypted in, in transit. It's very, very difficult to do. It's, it's possible, but it's difficult to do. And then like encrypting things on on all devices, like, you know, some of your network systems, et cetera, just very, very challenging. And actually that's not really gonna, someone who, you know, someone who's not, doesn't know the space is gonna be like, I gotta answer this yes, because otherwise I'm not gonna qualify. You know, for those of us who do this every day, we go, it's fine. You're gonna answer no, you're gonna add this addendum and it's not really gonna impact your, the options that you have or the pricing because mm -hmm. they, because they, the carriers realize that that's what actually the reality is for most, right? But you can put yourself in a place where you said all, that's not true. And then you're like, and now you're, now that that's not immediately going to say that you're denied, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not like you're going to, you would have to, you know, the insurance carrier would have to prove that that was maybe material to the, to the, the fact that you had a claim that right. you misrepresented yourself, mm -hmm. but you know, now, now it's an, you're, you're definitely, it's not like a rubber stamp. We're going to have maybe a conversation around it and there's, it will be back and forth. Just not, it's much less fun. But that, I mean, I guess what you're, the, the way that you're explaining this does go to the maturity of the industry and maturity of the cyber, cyber insurance portion of the industry, right? Like, like you said, I mean, other insurance has been around for decades, if not hundreds of years, right? Whereas yeah. this is like, this is so brand new and it's the landscape's changing constantly that they need to get in, get in front of it now. Right? Yeah, and I mean, you know, one of the things that it's been really, was eye-opening for me um, because I, you know, I, I was sort of out of the insurance industry for a while, spent a lot of long time in the technology industry and then kind of got pulled back into this, you know, this, this niche of the, of the insurance industry was, you know, the folks that are actually the underwriters and the folks that are, are writing these contracts, for the most part, they're ex-lawyers, right? Mm -hmm. They, because cyber really grew out of the professional liabilities lines, sort of what are known as specialist or complex insurance, right? Like the that's, you know, think of like malpractice insurance for doctors, right? Right. So they tend to be lawyers, but they don't tend to be technologists, right? And so they're often trying to define the you know this technological world in the in a framework of legal terms which in some ways doesn't doesn't work 
right? Mm -hmm. It's it's really, you know, square square peg round hole, right? And so and and honestly some of their knowledge of the technology is is not great. Like they're they're trying to learn and they're smart people, but they they don't understand some of the subtlety of the of of how systems are set up. So, you know, one of the things that we do particularly around complex deals is we're often like educating the underwriters and saying, you know, here's how we look at it and how we think about it. And, you know, not only we work with MSPs, but also some of the things that we're doing is, is to start to pull data directly out of directly out of the, the systems that companies and our partners like MSPs or cyber product firms are using and use that to essentially answer questions in a programmatically or a, you know, in a sort of machine to a machine way, rather mm -hmm. than trying to maybe represent a technological system that's complex and nuanced in a rigid sort of legal structure of an application. And so our view is that that's kind of where this is going, where you're not necessarily, you know, it, it's, it won't, the, the analysis won't just be done on like a a paper form or the a PDF equivalent of an application, but will actually be looked at in a much more robust sort of digital way. Right. Just the way you see, like some of the auto insurers are now offering, like plug this thing into your into your car, or or actually just have the app on your phone because it's going to be with you. We know all the time when you're driving, anyways. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to be able to monitor. We don't have to ask about like you know when did you last have an accident. We can literally monitor like how fast you stop. You know. Uh, how fast you drive, all of this, like, you know, just this huge ocean of data that is probably more, more predictive of the likelihood of you having an accident than, you know, the fact that you're a, you know, that you didn't have an accident in seven years. Right. Again, I, I don't, I, that might, might, may, may or may or may not be true. I don't, I don't underwrite auto. So. Right. No, I understand. I mean, conceptually what you're talking about is looking at, at big data, right. That it's going to give you different indicators than just, past information right like totally. how you live in the zip code therefore this is your likelihood but right we both know causation versus correlation Relation. right yep. and just because you live there doesn't mean that you're likely to have more likely to have it i think the point that you're bringing up which is is a, an interesting one and, and one that you know one that one of the things that really pulled me into the into this ecosystem right because mm -hmm. one of the things that i thought was not only did, not only did um, the risk that insurance that 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 cyber attacks looked like a risk that 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 insurance could handle, what also sort of blew me away um, when I was working in the cybersecurity ecosystem and going to you know lots of RSAs and black hats and sort of seeing all of these you know very very cutting edge technologies, how there was just like an absolute. Uh, absolute lack of like concrete data on performance for cybersecurity in totality and individual tools. Mm -hmm. Right. It was right. sort of like you'd ask, you, I'd literally like walk around to these booths and go like, well, you know, so tell me how much, like, how much does this like impact risk? Like, what does it look like? What will this do? And, you know, they, they might have some sort of random statistic, but mostly it was like almost immediately, like, let me tell you a story. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, it's great. I like your stories, but like, <laughs> right. it felt to me like baseball before Moneyball. And that's mm -hmm. where I think, that's where I think the cybersecurity ecosystem is right now, where we have a lot of tools. We have a lot of like good ideas around, you know, what, what is effective. I mean, you know, I, I've been to the NIST conference. I've been ve I'm very familiar with the MITRE ATT&CK framework. You know, I have have tried to understand you know how this how various people approach it, but mm -hmm. there's just a lack of very simple, concrete um, performance metrics. And I think that the insurance industry has that is going to be able to provide that to the cybersecurity ecosystem and the and the companies that are using them in a way that that they can't that the cybersecurity industry and individual companies can't provide because they don't have they don't have population data level data and they don't have performance relative to each other at, at the size and the scale in order to do it right and the right. insurance industry is starting to right right, so. right. 
I mean, the same thing, you know, again, using a similar analogy, how you explained about the car industry and the insurance carry, you know, they, they know the data, right? It's looking at the data. Whereas in the cyber world, how do you know you prevented an attack? Like, yep. how do you know, you know, something didn't happen as opposed to knowing what did happen? And even to that degree, knowing what did happen, sort of like COVID numbers, right? You don't know yep. if they're 100% accurate because not everybody's going to report them as opposed to a car crash, right? A car yeah. accident that gets reported. Yeah. Right yeah. There's, there's the confidentiality issues, right? Right. Um, right. But, you know, that's what's interesting. So we're owned by this reinsure and we, we, we have data, we believe to be on one of the largest, we, we believe we have data on probably 90% of the cyber insurance ecosystem, maybe, maybe more than that, because uh, as a reinsurer, you, you get that data as part of those contracts. And so, you know, and, and if you, so that data is, you know, it's, it's confidentially reported to your insurance company because you want to make a claim, right? right. But that feeds up into our models and then, mm -hmm we can look at that and compare over time um, and across many, many organizations, what does is, what is performance look like? And start to tie those individual organizations to their, to their cyber postures and the technologies, you know, look at it in all, in all factors, but one of the, one of the big potential factors is, you know, what are the technologies that you're using? What's the, you know, how, how have you deployed those technologies? What are the, you know, what are, what are the, and and the impacts of you know the industry that you're in the size that you are it's a it is a very complicated it's a very complicated problem to model mm -hmm. but it's not random right? right I don't think it's and and we've been you know successful in, in doing that so far but we I also think we're early days right right I, I would agree with that a hundred percent right yeah I I think that you know I do like the the concept that cyber insurance is actually making things better, right? Like it's, it's forcing, you know, the, the one thing that we lack in this industry in, in the MSP and IT service providers, just in technology for small to mid-sized businesses is this, the history, right? We just haven't been around long enough to get control. And so there's a lot of, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of mentality, but that doesn't, you know, that that's great. You've got your house and your house is fine where it is, but the reality is, is you're no longer living on a, in, in the prairie and you don't have any neighbors, right? Like you have people who are walking by your house all the time and you're just leaving it wide open. Okay. Well, then we start adding doors and windows and locks and all this stuff. Right. And I don't know how many times I get a phone call from, from people who I, I want to up my cyber security game. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. Well, do you guys offer SIM monitoring, right? Uh, SIM, I mean, you know this, but uh, security incident and event monitoring. Yeah, we could do that. But do you guys have this, 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 and this? Like, do you have dual factor? Do you have internet threat protection? Do you have EDR? You know, what other things do you, do you have a firewall? Do you have intrusion protection services running? Um, and, you know, no, 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 no. But we want to know if somebody's hacking us. Well, that's great, but I'd rather sell you the locks on the door than sell you an alarm system for an unlocked house because you're not really adding additional security, right? You're not making things yeah. tougher. And... Again, I think this all goes back to the concept that technology is so new in our society that we haven't it it hasn't matured and our and our minds around the topic haven't matured enough to take it to the same you know uh, yeah. level. And, right? and I think what we're seeing, um, and I talk about all this all the time, um, you know, if you want to want to make yourself um, sort of start to climb the curve on on being more secure right mm -hmm. think comprehensive before complicated mm -hmm. right and and the difference being you know think about doing the basics in in a bunch of different categories before you kind of go crazy in one of the categories right mm -hmm. and you know consistency and comprehensive are going to be complicated every time right Right. Um, I, you know, I was an athlete for a long time. It's sort of like the, 
it's it's a little bit like working out, right? And being healthy, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like, do you have some crazy new, you know, strange workout that you do like once every six months? It's about like eating well and trying to work out, you know, most days of the week, right? Mm -hmm. Like those two right. things, it's that simple, but doing it consistently. And actually like the complex crazy is actually an enemy of that, right? Right. And so we often talk about kind of the three legs of um, good cybersecurity, and mm -hmm. that's, you know, tools and technology, right? Compliance and legal stuff and cyber insurance, right? And if you put the three of those in place and just the basics, right? And, and, and I think the benefit that you're seeing from a cyber insurance perspective is it's kind of defining what those should be in the other two categories, right? right. Like, what do you really right. need to do? Like, great if you align to a framework, but not required to get great coverage from, uh, from cyber insurance. Mm -hmm. What is required? Put MFA on like email and remote access, because gosh, that's, that's tied to a hell of a lot of the incidents, right? Yep. 100%. Have good backup because if you're in a ransomware situation, the biggest thing you're gonna that's gonna cause you to pay a ransom is I can't recover my stuff, right? right. And that's when you're like, I guess I'm gonna have to pay the ransom, right? Percent, <laughs> right? And yep. and and EDR endpoint detection and response, right? That's gonna make sure that like you know something that infects a single device doesn't go across your whole network like that. And so now every you're all down and again probably in maybe a ransomware situation, right? So those those are kind of the the, the first three on the technology. Um, Maybe let's add, you know, some basics around like, you know, uh, training for your employees, particularly like the people in the finance department, because that happens a lot. You know, mm -hmm. no, you know, the CEO isn't going to text you on a Friday night and say, like, I'm buying a company. Like, can you can you wire this much money? Right. Like getting right. them smart about that stuff. Um, and then maybe email protection. Another one, because, again, still the most active way that attackers get in. Right. Right. From a compliance perspective, again, like, do you have processes in place? Two people have to approve wire transfers over like $25,000, you know, some of these other things, right? And and again, like, and then the basics, like, do we have an incident response plan? Have mm -hmm. you ever, like, tested it? Again, this is what we're seeing come on applications, right? The number of organizations that I talk to that, like, they're like, oh, I mean, I'm like, even MSPs, I'm like, do you have an incident response plan? And they're like, well, sort of. Um, have you tested it? Oh, definitely not, right? Right. And they're like, but it would, you know, oh, well, I have this like 50 or 100 page document that like I'd walk through. I was like, you know, what's the point of having 50 pages? Let's start with five. Right. Mm -hmm. Who to call, when to call them, you know, what's the chain of right. who to who to deal with. Right. Yeah. What's the number one system to get back up? All these things. Right. Right. Just start with the basics and print it out. Right. Because like, <laughs> oh, I have it, but it's in that. Right. Oh, it's in that laptop it's, that's now encrypted, right? And, exactly. and there's a ransomware note on. So it's not going to help you much, huh? Right. To your point, you know, it, a lot of this is just thinking through, I don't want to say common sense, but, you know, I do like the point that you made around consistency, right? Because it's not a one and done thing. You know, everybody asks us, what do we need to put in to be secure? It's like, whoa. It's like saying, how do, again, how do you lock your doors and windows on your house, right? It's yeah. like every, you got to look at, what are the what are the potential risks and address them and as your architecture changes as the landscape changes as you know different things are moving to the cloud or different you know different service providers what have you if you're not staying current with this sort of stuff what you had in place last year is not going to work for this year it's it's a matter of that consistency yeah and i, I think one of the things that i think i recommend to business owners is um, is really like what you want to do is think about putting together a team, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're a small business owner, you know, there are some that try and do everything, but like, typically you're like, Hey, I've got a good accountant. I've got a good lawyer. I've got like, you know, a good facilities management person who keeps like, you know, I, I have a team of people and I rely on them. And actually if I'm doing it well, they're actually like maybe working together. And I think mm -hmm. what, what we espouse and what we try and do with our partners is like, is provide that team for, for business owners, right? You want your, your technology team to be working with your cyber insurance team. And then maybe there's, there's sort of a compliance either that's happening in the organization or maybe a third party, like a lawyer or, or, or sometimes MSPs do it as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you, you kind of have that team together and they're working on your behalf, 
you know, again, you're there as the business owner to like be, you know, to be informed, to, to, to understand what's going on. Right. But like, you're not going to be dealing in the minutia of it um, every single day. And you're probably going to be revisiting that annually um, and maybe quarterly. Right. Okay. What's the annual plan. And, and, and that often ties really well with like, okay, I need to buy insurance every year. What are the requirements? Have they changed? What am I looking like? You know, let's take a holistic look at the risk. Okay. Let's think about what are the requirements that I need to meet with my, from a technology perspective? Are there changes in the types of attacks? Are there new technologies? Where are we on that sort of slow progression of um, improving our cyber posture? Gosh, let's get out that instant response plan. What is it? What does that call? What is that? call tree look like you know oh Susie's not here anymore she's moved on now right. exactly yeah. um, and doing that just like again if if companies said okay I'm gonna do this you know if they if they spend as much time thinking about cybersecurity as they do like probably sending like Christmas cards they probably you know and actually dedicated that you know a couple hours a year right right of real like okay I'm gonna do this um that would be uh you know they'd be in a good spot right you know? That, that would be sort of the new normal we want everybody yeah. to be looking at. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask was, I know that there's a number of companies, small companies or, you know, businesses who they don't have a dedicated cyber insurance policy. They might just have a rider like on their E&O policy or something like yeah. that. How did, how, you know, what what's your take on when, when that's their option? And that might go back to, yeah, you know, your insurance broker goes, yeah, I know cyber, I can help you out. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we do see, we still do see some riders, right? Um, you know, the problem, you know, usually the coverage is just not very good, mm -hmm. right? Well, there's two, two, two problems. One, the coverage is pretty limited, right? Um, like we see a lot of riders and it's like, you're like, oh yeah, we have cyber. And then we're like, okay, show us the policy. And then we look at the policy and it's like, yep, yeah, I have $50,000 worth of like rent of, of coverage here for data breach. So it's only going to cover if you, if you lose like data and, you know, $50,000, like if you really have a significant incident, that's probably going to cover like the cost of coffee for the incident response team that comes out. Right. Okay. I mean, pretty yeah. regularly, you know, the, the, a, a lot of incidents go to kind of like hundreds of million, hundreds of, of thousands, if not millions of dollars, even for a small business. And you're like, how is that possible? Right. And, and what organizations don't realize is that you, the impact that they have to other, the other organizations that they touch, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're, you're a, often a supplier to somebody else, or you're touching all of your customers, right? Or, you know, or you're a customer of somebody else, but then you infected that your supplier so that, you know, the blast radius can be significant. And so that, and, and, there's also quite a bit of potential regulatory and legal issues that, that happen. So, you know, you got to think about, are you going to get fined from one of the, you know, some agency? I mean, this is a, a case, I can't remember, maybe we talked about it. Um, so White Castle, right? White Castle is a, you know, the the, the burger place, burger chain, right? right. Yeah, make little burgers, right? Yep. Little square things. Yeah, little yep. square things. One of the things, so there's some unique laws in the U.S. around biometric information. So that's anything that can be identifying you um, by your by who you are, like I, I you know, your fingerprints or, or the shape of your face, like or your mm -hmm. eye print or, or those things. So there's been some very, very large penalties um, put into various state laws. So in the state of Illinois, the penalty is is a thousand dollars for an unintentional capture of biometric information without permission from the individual, and and something like five thousand dollars for an intentional capture of that without proper permission. So there's a case, one of the ex employees of White Castle says, "Oh gosh, the you know I was required to essentially like give my thumbprint every day." that I had to log in to like essentially turn on the cash register at White Castle. They did not have the proper permission to do that. I did not give them the decree to capture that biometric information. And so the case, which was um, went up to the Illinois, Illinois Supreme Court was, okay, is that fine once per person, per employee, or is that per incident? So that employee logging in 
you know, logging in and logging out twice a day for the entire time they work there. Right. Mm -hmm. And gosh, if that is the case, um, and this is how the court found it is the case that it's every time they did it, they're potentially liable for a thousand dollar fine. They White Castle estimated the potential damages. I believe that it was in the neighborhood of $17 billion. Billion with a B, billion, right. right? I mean, I don't know what, I, I think I looked up White Castle. They're not that big, right? right? <laughs> so yeah. that's not a, that is not a business ending. That is a business annihilating um, legal stature. Now, again, that's an extreme example. And I think the Illinois you know, the Illinois state legislature is currently perhaps considering change, doing some things to change that law because mm -hmm. it's such that I think a lot of businesses, rightfully so, will basically leave Illinois because of, of that potentially so onerous a penalty, right. even if you unintentionally do it, right? Right. But there are a host of potential legal issues in all of the states that where companies are operating and even if you're not in one of those states, if you have residents of the state that come into your, you know, that you're dealing with, you may not even know that they're, again, it's it's scary from a potential, again, the damage that can happen. And right. One, one of the examples uh, that I like to talk about, and, and this goes to your concept uh, of we don't know what we don't know from the legal perspective, right? And and certainly from the cyber perspective. But um, my example is, you know, the California has the CCPA, right, which is yeah. our our privacy law, right? The California Consumer Privacy Act. And New York has something similar. And I think New York is actually leading the country in terms of you know how tight their their protections are when it comes to privacy. So if you're doing work with somebody in New York, you have to abide by New York's cybersecurity controls. So for instance, we do a lot of work with registered investment advisors. And so if you have, if, if a registered investment advisor is, has a client who has a home in New York, you know, have, you know, you now have to run your cybersecurity practices based on the tighter controls in New York because you just simply have one person who's in that state and you now have to abide by those state cyber laws, right? But how many people here realize that, right? Maybe the attorneys might, but, um, and that's going to happen across our country, right? As states start controlling all of this stuff. Um, so can you, can you talk uh, about some of the other maybe misperceptions about cyber insurance, maybe some of the things that people don't realize and get caught on, you know, after the fact? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one of the other things is like the people don't realize that the potential damage they can do, even if they, I think particularly folks in the technology space, right? Like your first, your first instinct is to try and fix something, right? Like, oh gosh, we're in the middle of the hack. Like, let's go like, mm -hmm. you know, let's go try and fix this. Let's like, you know, let, let's refresh the, the, you know, the memory, let's, let's go wipe these devices and, you know, start afresh and let's get things back up and going. Right. And the, and the problem is, is that you can often create issues because you destroy a lot of the forensic evidence that happened there. It's sort of like, right. you know, a murder scene where you then like walked all over the crime scene, right. Or put your hand on the person's neck. Think, you know, trying again, it was like, you're trying to do the right thing. Right. Right. Because you want to check for a pulse, but suddenly like, your hand, you like totally messed up the crime scene, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, that can happen, particularly technologists want to do that. And you want to be very, very careful, right? The first thing you want to do, if you suspecting that what's going on, you want to reach out to your breach coach, um, to the law firms that are, that are specialists here, right? So, and that's part of the incident response plan, like that, that order of operations, you know, call up one of these law firms, tell describe what what what's going on and they're going to give you kind of the the legal read of what to do next and 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 you know I've I've been a part of numerous of these conversations literally where you know our our clients are calling us and they're going hey I, this is probably isn't a thing but let's talk about it most of the time and then we get on the phone with the, the lawyers and they go yeah yeah I actually I think you're fine here here's what I would think about but like I don't actually think it's a big deal you can, you can go up about your business. Like, but in, in one of those cases in particular that comes to mind, it was, 
uh, it was a significant ransomware issue, mm-hmm. you know, and within, um, you know, within they, they ended up spending several million dollars within, you know, a, a month of that happening. And, uh, it was pretty significant. Right. right. Um, and, and, uh, the problem is particularly with the, if you destroy the evidence, you don't know how, how, what, what was touched and how many potential individuals mm-hmm. were impacted. So particularly on the loss of data. So if that's the case that the forensic doesn't exist, it's sort of like, you know, if you lost your ticket, when you like parked in the garage, you're like, well, we just gotta, we, we gotta charge you the maximum. Right. So we just got to assume everything was touched. So right. some, sometimes you can go from like, what was like maybe a tiny incident. Oh gosh, it's only like 10 records to, we now got to assume the entire database has been um, mm-hmm. impacted. And now, you know, you took an incident that maybe it was a few thousand dollars to, you know, millions potentially. Right. right. Really. Well, I think, money. right. And, and definitely. And I think, again, I think a lot of this stuff comes back to the concept that, it's still so new and we don't know how to deal with things. We don't know how to react just in our gut level, not, not us as an industry, you or I, but right. It's just the average user out there. It's like, Oh, we got quote unquote hacked, but I took that machine offline or I I wiped everything. So we're good now. It's like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) Let's back up here. So I I know we're coming up on our our time here. I just, I did want to talk a little bit about data stream. If you want to talk about it, Um, I'd like to, you know, uh, learn more about the company and and how you guys work and, you know, how we could potentially work together and, you know, what our clients, uh, the benefits our clients might see from that. We've talked a lot about it already in some ways, right? Like Mm -hmm. we, you know, we are a specialist cyber insurance firm. We work deeply in partnership with technology firms um, like like FPA and 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 others we have hundreds of of partners across the country um, and our goal is to help clients of these local tech firms include cyber insurance into their overall cyber risk program so we work in partnership with these technology firms um, talk with their clients, try and get us an understanding of what their risk looks like, understand what they're doing on the technology side, and then see what the, what options they have for cyber insurance. Um, what might they need to do to kind of change and adjust their cyber posture in order to get to improve those options or, you know, uh, think about the size of coverage that they may need and, and obviously which different carrier might be the best option. So our view is that there's basically not a business in America that doesn't need some sort of cyber insurance, right? And it's honestly, for almost every business, it's surprisingly inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Right? We sell plenty of like thousand or two thousand dollar policies to you know smallish businesses. You know, right. um, we sell you know we sell handfuls of like you know five five figure um, policies, ten you know. 10, 20, 30,000. But if you're in that zip code, you're at least a $10 million plus, if not 20 or $30 million plus um, business. So Mm -hmm. almost every business, it's a rounding error. And again, it's that, you know, obviously it's an investment. what you're saying. The cost is a rounding error. Yeah, the cost is a rounding error in terms of um, your overall overall budget and even probably your overall technology budget. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, you should see it one as as that parachute that if you need it, it's there for you. Um, but also, I think the ones who are smarter looking at it and seeing the process as one that's really helping them understand, hey, gosh, what should I be doing on the technology side to put myself in a good place? Right. So we obviously, uh, the, the you know, a lot of our discussions focus around the, you know, the policy options and what there looks like. But those our our conversations are really typically holistic with with those clients and with their technology team around you know the other pieces that impact and are influenced by that cyber insurance policy so what what are the technologies that you put in place what are the what are the policies that you have in place like do you have that incident response plan have you done a business impact assessment you know, have you, uh, you know, really holistically think about them. And again, be that kind of second set of eyes reviewing their, reviewing what the, what the program looks like. Um, And, you know, the partners that we work with, you know, we help support them 
in the in those discussions, um, not only in validating um, what they're doing um, and also educating them if they're if they're sort of newer to the realm of cyber, um, but also showing what the industry cares about and then providing very detailed, you know, risk analysis. We have mm -hmm. a tool that we can essentially ana analyze every every customer um, in every industry, kind of what their risk looks like relative to other folks in their industry. So, you know, if they're, you know, if they're a law firm, what's the likelihood that they that they have a cyber incident and based on their cyber posture, what their website and then their internal systems look like, how does that position them relative to the other law firms that we have in our very large database? So it's, again, that sort of quantitatively focused discussion, like, for example, we were working with an MSP, um, one of their clients was a hospital. Um, hospitals are already kind of on the higher risk end of things. On average, they have about a 13% mm -hmm. um, likelihood in any year of having a, a significant cyber incident. So, you know, you're already better than one in 10. In this right. case, that's that hospital actually had quite a few issues with their cyber um, posture. So our estimate that they would be almost more than 30% likely of having a cyber incident. And it was really eye-opening you know, the, the MSP was well aware that they were a problem mm -hmm. uh, and they had been, again, pounding the table and saying, you know, you guys are not doing what you need to do and you're really opening yourself up to an issue. Uh, that that statistic was really helpful in them going, wow, uh, you, you, you think it's bad. Here's really how bad it is based on the, the data that we have from our partner. You know, a, a one in three, that's truly, truly frightening um, for an organization. Okay, right. So. Right. Well, I think, you know, what you just talked about, I think is really important is, is you know, going back to something you said earlier, which is the three legs of the stool approach, right? And taking cyber insurance as one of those legs. I don't think people see it equal, right? I, in terms of tools, technology, and then, right, uh, legal um, and your compliance and then insurance. Like I yeah. was listening when you talked about this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, good. Yeah. But, you, did, yeah. You, you were doing a good job. Yeah. But I think, um, I think that's huge, right? Like really, because it's more than just the policy. It's, does the yeah. policy help you initiate things that actually improve your, your, your posture and make yeah. you tighter? And I think it can. I yeah. do like the other thing I wanted to talk about was on your website, you have a couple of, you know, actual resources, not just, hey, yep. here's some white papers, but literally, right, you have the cyber insurance risk assessment, cyber posture audit tool, and an incident response plan builder. Those are all three great resources. I'll put them, you know, in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but definitely want people to be aware that that's out there and they're, you know, you're putting out tools that can help people and yeah. I think that's awesome. So, like I said, I think we're we're coming up on our our time here. Any any last thoughts or any any words of wisdom to share out there in the world that we haven't quite covered yet? Well, first, I just want to thank you, Craig, for having me on it and for great questions and and for you know really obviously coming well prepared for this this conversation and really and and bringing up some of the things that I think a lot of a lot of our partners and a lot of our customers are asking us. So, but I think you know we we you know, myself and our whole team really loves doing what we do, right? And and every day having these conversations, right? And I think we, I know the reputation of the insurance industry around like, you know, we're going to be selling you all the time. But our view is that this space is, there's so much to learn here, right? Um, that, you know, we, we just love to have a conversation with you. And, and, you know, almost no one walks away from those conversations without saying, wow, I learned a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes those conversations, we, you know, we do a policy review, you have, you know, maybe you, you, ha you happen to get a policy that's pretty good. That that's probably 20% of the time. And then they go, you know, it's fine. You, you've got a good one. Let's take a, you know, maybe in a year when you're looking to renew, maybe we, we check again and see if there's, there's some better options in the market. But a lot of time we, we end up looking and seeing, okay, there's, there's things that need to be fixed here and to take a really comprehensive approach to it. I, I, for the most part, we, I think we try and speak in like normal English, not, not insurance ease. Right. Right. Um, and, 100%. Uh, 
And just, you know, it's one of those things that I, I think businesses have to, if you're not thinking about this, like, I, it just, it, it really saddens me because we also have those conversations with a lot of, um, a lot of customers who, you know, didn't make, didn't, didn't have these conversations. And then they're now, you know, they had an incident and it's, you know, we're, we're down a hundred, a couple hundred thousand dollars for this, or we sent a check for, you know, $50,000 to this, right. You know, like a charity doing that. It's just awful. Right. right. So sad. Right. Um, so. Well, I appreciate that and certainly appreciate your time. I mean, I think this has been super informative. I do want to definitely, you know, I, I believe, you know, assuming people listen to the podcast, uh, I believe that we will, be, you know, you and I will be having multiple conversations with our clients around this stuff because this is this is really an area that I see lacking. Um, I yep. really see this lacking and and having a partner like you that we can bring our clients to is huge. Yep. The, the other thing I'd throw out there is Andy does have a podcast himself, the Cyber Crime Lab, I believe. If you want to know what it's like to actually, you know, live through one of these incidents that we interview either victims or, you know, the folks, the sort of first responders um, or the folks who are involved in these. So kind of dig into the details of like what it's like to live through these and not not the big incidents, sort of like regular, regular small businesses. So it's kind yeah. of fun, scary, yeah. but um, but fun. F fun to talk about, not fun yes. to experience, <laughs> just to clarify. But um, so, yeah, like I said, you know, we'll have all of this stuff in the show notes. If anybody has, you know, wants to get in touch with you directly, they, they can, um, or, you know, they can get in touch with us, uh, with you guys through us. Um, but I, again, thank you so much for this. This has been a great time. Um, I've learned a lot and I'm sure, you know, anybody listening has learned a lot. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I look forward yeah. to working together in the future with our clients and, yeah, and look others. Forward to it. This yeah. is great. Thanks, Greg. And that was Andy Anderson, co-founder and CEO of DataStream Cyber Insurance. I hope you found our conversation as interesting as I did. It's always great to dive into the mind of a subject matter expert like Andy, and there are certainly a lot of nuggets there. I hope you can apply some of them right away in your business. Thanks again, Andy, for your time and sharing all of your great thoughts with our listeners. If you'd like to find out more about what Andy and DataStream Cyber Insurance has to offer, or simply want to connect with him, check out the show notes for more details. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. To learn more about this episode or hear previous episodes, Check out the show notes at www.fpainc.com slash podcast. And if you like today's show, please do us a favor and share it with your friends. We'd really appreciate getting the word out there. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, please do give us a review. Again, we'd really appreciate that. You can also write to us at podcast at fpainc.com. And if you want to send us a tweet, our handle on Twitter is at F-P-A-I-N-C. I'm Craig Pollock, and you've been listening to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast. And remember, with FPA, it's always about business before technology. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.